On today's episode, I spoke with someone who decided to sell almost everything, ditch their abundant life in San Francisco to buy a sailboat to go cruising on the Pacific coast. For some of you, that sounds like a dream. For others, that may be terrifying. I think it's pretty awesome and insightful on how this person did that. Well, who's this person? It's John Zaratsky. I know him as Jay-Z. Anyway, him and his wife did this, and I followed along their journey on their blog, which was very inspiring and entertaining. John has had a lot of success in the technology industry. He was at YouTube on the product team. He was also on the design team at uh, Google Ventures. But he's also the co-author of the book Sprint, which is an incredible design thinking framework and a book on how to use it for testing a business idea in just five days. And he's also a co-author of the upcoming book Make Time, which is a wonderful book filled with tactics and approaches for you to make more time for what matters. In this conversation, John gives me a ton of great advice throughout the conversation. We talk about how to make writing a book less intimidating, how John and his wife actually set up what he calls a someday fund so they could sort of mini-retire and actually travel the world via their sailboat. Something interesting there for all listeners around thinking about your own someday fund for the things you want to do someday. And lastly, Jay-Z has taught me a lot about designing a solid business and an enjoyable lifestyle. I hope you enjoyed the chat, and thank you so much for listening. So I'm I'm on the right mic here. I'm recording. So uh, yeah, I'm ready to just get into it. So where are you right now? So right now I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My wife, Michelle, and I, uh, we bought a home here. And we are using this as our off-the-boat base while we figure out what we want to do with our lives. (laughs) So that's a recent purchase, I assume, because I believe you've been, both you and your wife have been on a boat uh, for the last year or so. That's true. Yeah, we lived in San Francisco for about eight years. And before that, we were in Chicago and we both grew up in Wisconsin but we decided that uh, we wanted to try something different. So we, about a year ago, uh, we moved on to our sailboat um, and got rid of pretty much all of our stuff. Uh, we left our, our full-time jobs and we just started uh, cruising down along the Pacific coast. So over the course of about eight months, we sailed from San Francisco to Panama. Um, and that's where the, the boat is right now in, in Panama. Wow. Uh, I don't know where to, to start. I have so many, <laughs> so many curiosities. I've actually shared your blog and your stories and your approach uh, to some friends of mine who are all sort of obsessed with the idea of early or mini retirements. And yeah, cool. most, yeah, most of the questions that come up are around preparation for that and the discipline to actually make it happen. I, I, I think it'd be very difficult to find someone who uh, wouldn't be intrigued by the idea, but I find a lot of naysayers and excuses like, oh, I could never do that because of X, Y, and Z. And so do you have any ways to explain to people on the achievability of this? I believe you called it a someday fund, uh, whether it's sailing or it could be backpacking or just living on a vineyard. I guess my first question, sorry for the uh, <laughs> tangent, why do you call it someday fund? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the someday fund is really the, it's the money side of this equation. You know, I, I think a lot about time um, and how, you know, how, how we use our time, the decisions that we make. Um, but, you know, at some point, no matter how proactive and how strategic you are with your time, you run into the, the realities of the fact that it, it costs money to live in the world. Um, and so I think, for, for bigger changes like, you know, long-term travel, like making a, a dramatic career shift, like going back to school, you're going to need some kind of financial foundation. Um, and the Someday Fund, I call it that because it's the, you know, I think everybody has these ideas of these things they want to do someday. Uh, someday I want to write a book. 
someday I want to sail around the world. Those were things that I thought about. And it's important to think about your time and your, your energy and your focus in ways that help you uh, get closer to that someday. But the someday fund is the, is basically the, the money side of it. It's the portfolio. It's the savings that gives you that kind of financial stability to take really dramatic steps and make really dramatic changes to how you're spending your time. What about some of the, I don't want to say top five, top 10, top three areas to start that you found after you and your wife prepared your own someday fund? Or are there some epiphanies around ways for people to think about how easy it is to, to have the discipline uh, around it? I, I'm just trying to eliminate some of the intimidation that this yeah. is something that, you know, with a little bit of discipline and determination can be done. Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it would be disingenuous to not acknowledge that um, to even be thinking about these things is a luxury. And so, you know, I, I think that it's important to have kind of the, the financial basics in place, you know, uh, little to no debt, um, make sure that you're saving for retirement. You're not living paycheck to paycheck, that sort of thing. But I, I think that part of why I gravitated toward this idea of a someday fund is that the, if you, if you pick up a, you know, a fin financial planning magazine or you read the personal finance blogs, it just all is so like heavy, you know, it's so um, it's, it's laden with what you should do and, and the responsible thing to do. And um, if you don't do this, you're, you know, you're going to be in trouble. And I think there's definitely some truth to that, but, but money is a tool. Uh, it is, it's something that we can, like time, that we can make decisions about and we can use in ways that enable us to live the life that we want to live. And so that's, that's kind of my, you know, my, my goal is to kind of shift that conversation a little bit away from the, the big scary, what you should be doing to the, like, what you can be doing. And, and for us, by far the biggest decision that we made in terms of our money was to keep our fixed expenses really low. So I think, again, if you think back to the, the typical, you know, tips you read on a blog or in a magazine, they focus a lot on the discretionary spending. Mm -hmm. So there's, I mean, there's literally a book called The Latte Effect, which is about how if you skip your daily latte in 30 years, you'll have, you know, some huge amount of money, which is totally true. But that's $4 a day uh, or $3 a day or whatever. If you can uh, keep your, you know, the rent on your apartment or the mortgage payment on your home low over those, those days and months and years, it's going to have a far bigger effect on your finances. It's going to enable you to build a someday fund. And the amazing thing about it is that it doesn't require any willpower because once you've made that decision, you know, for example, I got a raise, but I'm not going to get a bigger place or, you know, all my friends are buying houses, but I'm going to keep renting. Uh, these are all, all things that, that Michelle and I did. You don't have to keep making that decision every single day. You don't have to walk past the coffee place and think, oh, I really shouldn't get a latte, but I'd love to get a latte, but I really shouldn't because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my future. Um, so the, the, the fixed expenses, uh, housing, uh, transportation, debt, you know, payments of all kinds, whether it's on a car, a student loan, something else, those are, are, they're, they're big. So they're really good places to, to focus, but they also become automatic once you, you make that upfront decision. Hmm. Thank you for that, John. So you and Michelle left San Francisco, didn't know exactly how long you would cruise down on, on pineapples, the name of the boat, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, don't know how long you would cruise down on the pineapple. Didn't know when you were going to be done. Uh, that's a lot of uh, freedom to just leave like that. And I'm just amazed because the way I look at it, and as it's relevant to this podcast, I'm always looking at people who have found micro, and in your case, macro ways to sort of take, <laughs> take time off from the usual day-to-day, -day, in this case, y'all's lives in uh, San Francisco. And so you created a lot of time off and uh, through this new journey, what has that provided for, for you? 
Yeah, that's a good question. That's, that's a big question. Um, and, and honestly, I think I'm still figuring out the answers. There were, there were a few things that resulted directly from spending that time on the boat. Um, there was, you know, I think I became a lot more patient and a lot more uh, calm in stressful situations because, you know, living on a boat, being uh, at sea, uh, being, you know, sort of out in the world away from the, the structures and the support of, of society, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are out, outside your control. And so I think whether it was, you know, uh, an anchorage that wasn't particularly calm or, or weather that wasn't particularly good or, uh, you know, the, the, just the tribulations of, you know, getting to town and buying food. Um, I, I think I really learned a lot of patience because of those things. I also, I, I really appreciated, and I don't know if I learned anything from this, but I, I enjoyed the feeling of, of that, that freedom combined with that responsibility. So on the one hand, you know, every day was ours to design. We could decide what we wanted to do. But on the other hand, we had to do everything for ourselves. If we, if we needed, if we were, if it was dinner time, we couldn't, you know, order up delivery. Uh, if we needed something, we couldn't just order it from Amazon. Uh, if we were, you know, bored and wanted to unplug for a little while, we couldn't stream a show on Netflix because we didn't have fast internet. And that's just a totally different way of living. Uh, that was, it was actually a big part of our motivation was we wanted to swap the defaults of, you know, sort of quote unquote normal life, life as we know it, um, with this new set of defaults. But I, I think the bigger, the upshot, and this is the part we're still figuring out is that it gave us space to think about our life um, and our time in a way that we never really could before. You know, I think my work and, and the writing that I do uh, in the book, the new book, Make Time, are about how to, how to create space in every day, how to build more energy, how to improve your attention, how to find room and to make time every day for things that matter. But when you're in the sort of the, you're in the hamster wheel and you're running and you're going to work and you're doing everything that, that modern life expects, um, you can only create so much space and it becomes difficult to think those, those big thoughts about, you know, what do I want the next five years to look like or the next 10 years to look like? And so being on the boat and, and changing those defaults and stepping away from our old life in San Francisco, it totally blew open all those things. It, it totally gave us the space to think about uh, what we wanted to do. And, and that's what we're, that's what we're thinking about right now. That's what we're trying to figure out. Yeah. I've through my own practice of being heads down for three or so months. And then what I call a mini sabbatical, I, I tried to do a month or so just in a new world and a new adventure. And really the only reason I do it is for the benefit of unlearning. Because when you do travel, especially in your case of being at the, you know, next to the ocean, which is a very humbling place, um, you have to unlearn a lot of things and relearn. And for me, that, that is a skill that regardless of the profession I find myself in is, is something that can be easily lost. And we have it when we're kids, you know, we're constantly unlearning, learning uh, with our imagination. And for me, travel and putting myself in a new place is one way to exercise that. And it sounds like you, you did a lot of unlearning and learning yeah. while, while on the water. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, I had never really thought about it as, as unlearning, but you're, you're totally right that there are, there are probably some big things that I unlearned that I'm, I'm, that I haven't realized yet, but there's definitely a lot of little things, you know, a lot of those little habits of, Oh, don't feel like cooking tonight. Let's see what we can order, you know, on the, you know, caviar, whatever on the phone, you know, let's see what we can get delivered. Oh, we're running out of something like, let's, let's go grab it on Amazon. And so, yeah, we unlearned a lot of those little habits, but, but I'm going to think about that more. That's a really interesting exercise to think about if there are bigger things that I've unlearned. 
Sure. So this uh, podcast, as well as the, the book I'm writing, Time Off, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with studying the art of people who can achieve more by working less, people that yeah. value rest and reflection, the balance of, you know, execution and laser focus with playful discovery. I, I love in your new book, there's a lot of tactics in there that to me apply to the concept of, of time off and making time for that. But I guess I just wanted to ask you up front, do you believe in the concept of time off in any stories throughout your career and life where you learned the value of it? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely believe in it. I think that, so for just a little bit more on, on my background, I graduated from college and, and, and I went to the, the University of Wisconsin and graduated and, and immediately started working. And I had a really good job right out of college. I was at a tech startup and then uh, we were acquired a couple of years later by Google and I worked at Google for 10 years. So things were really good. But I, I don't think I really like thought in the same way that you are thinking about time off until much later, you know, like time off for me was like a vacation. And I think even on those, even on that small scale of taking a long weekend or taking a week here or there, I could feel th this sort of rebuild of energy and I could feel, I think most, most importantly, I could feel my enthusiasm rebuild. So if I was feeling a little bit like, you know, tired or burned out at work, stepping away for even a few days, I would start to notice that like, wow, I'm actually excited to get back to work. Um, and that was always such a good feeling that that like gave me a lot of confidence that I was doing the right things. I was spending my time on the right things. Um, but until 2015, um, I never took more than a week off. Um, graduated from college and literally started working right away. And we, Michelle and I had originally planned to uh, do this extended sailing trip uh, in 2015, but we both had opportunities come up. Uh, Michelle had a, a new role at, at work and I had the, the sprint book, which uh, we wrote in, in 2015 and came out in 2016. And so we decided to, to delay kind of the big, you know, sailing trip, the big, you know, uh, switch in our lifestyle. But instead in 2015, I, I ended up taking about two months off and sailed from San Francisco down to Southern California. Uh, went to Santa Barbara, went to LA, went out to Catalina Island and sailed back and had different friends join me for different parts of the trip. And Michelle came down for about three weeks in the middle. Um, and that was by far the most time I had ever taken off. And I wasn't totally unplugged. I was still, you know, doing some stuff on the computer and checking in, but it was, I was actually a little bit nervous how, like about how I was going to feel at the end of it, would I want to go back to work? Would I like, you know, seeing, uh, being surrounded by other people who had, who were on their, on their way south, you know, they were leaving California, heading down to Mexico, which was what we wanted to do. Um, how, how was that all going to make me feel? But, but it actually was, it ended up kind of being a, just a bigger version of what I had felt on those little vacations, which was I could just feel my energy and my enthusiasm rebuild. And so when I, came back to San Francisco and got back into work uh, and started gearing up for the launch of Sprint, I was just super excited and, and ready to go. I, I like that you said that you were still plugged in because I, I really want through my study of people that value time off, I don't want to only see rest as doing nothing. You know, I think, I think there's a concept of active rest. And in this case, time off was you took time off from San Francisco in that first trip. Uh, you know, you were still working, you were still working on the book, preparing for the book, which I'm sure you could tell me how much work that is. But, you know, it was still in my mind rest, but an active rest. Did, did it feel like that for you? Yeah, it totally did. It, um, it wasn't, it, it definitely wasn't like this two month period of just doing nothing. And I think that that's one of the things that is, really appealing about, about traveling by sailboat. Um, in the sailing world, we call it cruising. That's sort of the, the type of sailing you do when you, when you sail from place to place, you sleep aboard your boat, that sort of thing. One of the really appealing things about cruising is that it requires you to be plugged in 
to what's going on. You're not just like sitting on a beach drinking cocktails with little umbrellas in them. You, there's a lot of responsibility for the boat, for navigation, for keeping an eye on the weather, for making sure that you have everything that you need because it's not always easy to run out and get something that you need. So I think that's part of why I've always turned, or not always, in the last few years, I've turned toward cruising, uh, toward sailing as my preferred uh, version of, of time off. So you and your wife had a blog about this journey from uh, your trip from San Francisco down to Panama, and it's called Particular Harbor. And for listeners, there is an article there that may help you because I know that there's a lot of people that probably wouldn't even consider sailing for months and months and months. And John and his wife can give you the wisdom that was gathered after, after sailing for a while. And you have an article on there called the 10 lessons learned after sailing for three months, which I thought aside from people interested in sailing, it's also just good life advice uh, that I think that, that balance of controlling your time and responsibility affords you. And the one lesson in there that I really liked was every day was on your terms. Can you, can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, sure. And, and before I get into it, I, I've got to uh, give a proper credit to my wife, Michelle, who did most of the writing uh, for the blog for a particular Harbor. Um, and it was really fun to work with her on this project. You know, we've been, we've been married for almost 10 years and we've been together for uh, almost 15. And so, you know, we're not new to kind of being partners and working on stuff together, but we never really worked on something like that, some creative work before. And so it was really fun. And it was actually, sometimes I would read her drafts and I'd be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that you were thinking these things. I didn't know that that was your experience of what we did. So that, so it was, it was super interesting. And anyway, yeah, that uh, Michelle wrote almost all the posts on the blog, including this one. And yeah, I, I think, you know, so you were asking about every day being on our terms. And I think that's what we were, that's what we were after when we decided to, to go cruising because we felt like, you know, I mentioned before this idea of defaults and that there's all these default behaviors and habits and expectations that exist in life, no matter where you are or what you're doing. And sometimes we talk about San Francisco and our life there as being kind of a package deal. It's, uh, it's expensive. So you need to work. You know, most people need to work to, uh, to make enough money to live there and you have to work pretty hard. You have to work a lot. And that requires a lot of energy. So it limits what you can do with your time otherwise. And I've, I've been trying for years to, to create small pockets of time within my days that I feel like are totally mine. So, you know, almost little bits of, of time off, little bits of rest or, you know, uh, chunks of the day where I'm, I'm not going from meeting to meeting. I'm not trying to keep up on my email, but we were drawn to living on the boat and traveling because we could see from talking to other people who had done it and, and reading other blogs and other books, we could see that it was going to, it was going to give us the ability to make every day our own, to not just have a little bit of time, not just have a, a vacation, but to, to really live that way every day and to embrace both the freedom and the responsibility that that implies. And, and that's definitely, that's definitely how we felt. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a very natural transition into the next topic I want to speak about, which is your new book called Make Time. Uh, I've had your, would you call him your co-author? Is that yeah, for sure. It? Yeah, your co-author, Jake Knapp, on the podcast. And it was really fun to talk to him about his perspective. What I love about the book, and I can't wait for listeners to get their hands on it, is the book actually has an amazing balance of both of you two, meaning 
each one of you approach some of the tactics differently. You look at make time slightly different. One person likes getting things done in the evening. Another person likes getting things done in the morning. I just thought it's very balanced, which for me uh, is going to allow different readers to, to, to resonate with it. So we've heard Jake pitch the book. So I'd like to hear your version of pitching the book. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm particularly glad that you appreciated the, the, the way that our, our two voices and our two perspectives blend, um, because that's something that's really, I think, really special about our collaboration and special about the book. Um, I'll start with just kind of the, the simple pitch, which is that Make Time is a book that helps busy, distracted people take control of their energy and their attention so that they can actually make time for the things that matter to them. Uh, that's kind of the, the book in a nutshell, and there's a lot more I can say about it. Um, but, the, but you touched on something really interesting, which is that by having two different voices, two different perspectives, it's going to enable more people to get something out of the book. And that was a big part of our philosophy. You know, we, you know, as, as time dorks, which is the sort of how, how we refer to ourselves and that's the name of our, our newsletter. Um, you know, we're really into this stuff. You know, we read lots of books about time management and productivity, you know, lots of you know, self-help type books. And a lot of them are very prescriptive. They describe a certain series of steps, a certain set of things that you need to do, but, those things don't always work for everybody and everybody's different. Everybody's at a different place in life. Um, and so we wanted to meet people where they are. We wanted to, to create a, a foundation, sort of an underlying framework that was pretty universal, but then we wanted to provide lots of different specific concrete suggestions for the ways that people can fit this system into their lives. And so to that end, there's more than 80 different tactics different things you can do from uh, scheduling the highlight, the activity that you want to make time for every day to uh, removing certain apps from your smartphone that you find yourself always you know, losing time to, to, to using your body to keep your energy up uh, throughout the day. And it's kind of like a cookbook. You know, you, you get a cookbook, you're not going to sit down and, and make all, all the recipes at once. And that's definitely not how we expect people to use make time. But we hope that we can encourage people to look at their time as something that they have control over, or at least some control over, and to use the recipes, to use the tactics in make time um, as a way of experimenting and find, finding what works for them. Similar to the book Sprint, it's not just about telling stories of success or, look, this is what works for John and Jake. It's here's a framework and actually here's some templates and some examples on, on how to implement it. And in, in make time, I, I love how there's recommendations on an approach of, as you said, the 80 or more tactics, it's an ongoing experiment. And, you know, I had the privilege of giving some early feedback. And so I've been using my, I guess I would call it my, my make time sheet or my make time strategy sheet where I'm, I'm assessing which of these things are working for me. Was I able to achieve my highlight? Uh, which one of the tactics uh, has the heaviest weight of, of impact versus yeah. ones that don't really uh, apply to me. And, yeah. and that form of experimentations uh, just been really, really fun. Uh, I look at it as the startup of me, uh, <laughs> almost like doing yeah. design sprints for, for me and my time and, you know, in, in the short life, yeah. like, what I can focus towards. And, why has that been important for, um, I mean, in a way you built a movement with, with Sprint. Why, why is that important to help the reader actualize uh, some of your ideas? Well, I mean, it, it's important because we want the, we want the book to, to help people, you know, like we, we don't just want it to sell a lot of copies or to be, you know, we don't want just want people to say nice things about it or talk about it, you know, well-written or the stories are really compelling. We want people to actually do it. We want people to actually make time. Um, and so we just felt like, I don't know, 
it almost seemed obvious that we needed to approach it as this experimental framework instead of a one size fits all formula. And part of that inspiration came from design sprints. So for anybody listening who, who isn't familiar, design sprint is a five day process for turning an idea into a testable prototype, something you can test with real customers in five days. Uh, it's something that Jake Knapp created at Google and then we worked together to develop at Google Ventures and we ran about 150 design sprints in that context before going out on our own. And during that process of running all those sprints and developing the process, we learned the value of experimentation because, you know, every week we'd have a, a new team of people in, you know, doing a sprint and, and it was almost like we got to experiment on them. You know, it was, it was almost like a laboratory where we got to say like, Oh, like, what went wrong, you know, that day or what, like this sprint wasn't as good as the other sprint. Like what's different, what changed and we can make little tweaks. And so um, we learned a few big lessons that became kind of the pillars of make time. But, uh, but one of them was definitely um, experimentation. And, and I think it, it sort of ties in with, with our own personal experiences. You know, uh, Jake actually used to keep a, a spreadsheet of his energy levels. Like he would track like, what did he eat? What did he drink? How was his energy level? Um, you know, I used to, I've, I've done dozens of different uh, dorky experiments. You know, I've tried eating like six small meals a day and then eating like two large meals. Uh, I've, I've tried countless different to-do list systems and ways of organizing my, you know, my the stuff I'm working on. And so, you know, I think that we, we had just seen the value of experimentation in so many different realms that we we really felt like we needed to make that a key part of make time so of the 80 plus tactics that both of you have been experimenting with john is there a few of them that have provided you the most benefit yeah definitely there are some kind of keystone tactics that i keep coming back to i really try to make them a part of every day um the first is is that daily practice of choosing a highlight. And this is the one thing that you really want to make time for. The, the, the idea behind the name is that if you, if you look back at the end of the day and you say, what, what was the highlight today? What was my highlight? Um, what do you want that answer to be? Could be something that needs to get done. Could be something that is gonna be really satisfying. Could be something that's just fun, you know, just brings you joy. Um, so I do that pretty much every day. And if possible, I try to work on it first thing in the morning. So you, you, Fitch, you mentioned how like, you know, in the book, there's some kind of different takes on things. And one of the big conflicts is that Jake is a night owl. He, he makes time at night after his kids have gone to bed. I'm a morning person. Uh, I like to wake up early, um, you know, with the sun if possible make some coffee and just immediately start working on my highlight um, before I check email, before I look at Twitter, before I you know, read the news or anything like that. Um, so, so starting my day that way is, is huge for me. Another tactic that, that really helps me is called design your day. And this is the idea of sort of meticulously, almost obsessively planning my day, literally putting it on the calendar, putting down like when I'm going to shower and make coffee and, and eat and what I'm going to work on because it's, it allows me to one, make sure that I'm getting to everything I want to get to, but it also keeps me honest. So it's kind of a two-way street. You know, if I, if I have this super ambitious to-do list of like, oh yeah, today I'm going to knock off these six things. And then you know, I go to put them on the calendar and I'm like, oh, those six things are not, they're not going to fit. There's not actually time for that. Um, it's just a, a feedback mechanism that keeps me honest. Like Jake, I also keep a distraction-free phone. Uh, I have a, a Google Pixel, but I don't have email on it. I don't have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I, I used to disable the web browser. So Chrome is, is installed on a, a Pixel by default, but I, I used to have it off. Although after doing that for for a couple of years, I felt that my, my compulsion to randomly look stuff up on the internet had been kind of uh, 
uh, that habit had sort of been broken. So I, I don't struggle with that. Um, but a distraction free phone, um, on my computer, I log out of sites that I find distracting. So I have a bit of a problem with Twitter. I like Twitter. I use Twitter, but I know that if I go, even if I go to Twitter with a really specific purpose in mind, I'm going to spend a bunch of time just scrolling through the feed, looking at interesting tweets, quick, uh, clicking on links. Um, so I changed my password to something that is just complete gibberish. And I put it in a password manager app and then I log out of Twitter. So if I want to check Twitter, I go to like sort of mindlessly type in twitter.com and then it pops up and it's like, please log in. And then I'm like, oh crap. Yeah. I have to like go and type in this other password to unlock my password manager, to copy my password, to go back to Twitter, to log in. So it just kind of like uh, puts a speed bump in front of that particular habit. And then there's all the stuff that I do, all the, the tactics that I use to build energy. And this is a part of the make time framework that we haven't really touched on yet, which is that in order to make good use of time, in order to be in charge of your attention, your time, you need energy. Your brain especially needs energy. And that energy comes from taking care of your body. So I try to find ways to build movement into every day and, and just generally keep my energy up. So I like to walk a lot. I walk as much as I can. In the book, we call that tactic pound the pavement. I, I have this, uh, this wacky tactic in the book called inconvenience yourself, which is about choosing the sort of hard or manual or slower way of doing things. Uh, you know, for example, instead of ordering you know, dinner and, and, you know, having it delivered, um, you know, walking to the store and picking up a few ingredients, even if it's something that's, that's pre-made and super simple, you know, it doesn't require a recipe, just that act of like of moving your body and doing something for yourself. I find that that gives me an energy boost. And so I try to, I try to keep myself moving as much as possible. Yeah. The wellness side has been an area of focus of mine. And aside from what feels like the output is the day feels a little longer to me because the energy is up. Therefore I'm able to perform more. I just think in terms of just pure mental health, like, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not tracking any neurotransmitters to any crazy detail, <laughs> but just based yeah. on my own journaling and daily gratitude, I just think that it's one of the most incredible natural antidepressants, which you know makes everything else easier. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm probably not as savvy on the science of it all as I should be, but I do feel like kind of going through a, a paradigm shift right now where, you know, for the, you know, really the, the 20th century, it was sort of this, it kind of this, this medical and, and pharmaceutical focus to solving problems, you know, like if you have a problem, you know, see a doctor take a drug, you know, whatever, have this intervention. Um, and, and it seems like, and this could just be like, you know, uh, confirmation bias, you know, like I'm, I'm sort of the things that I read seem to confirm what I already believe, but it seems like there's a shift taking place where more and more people and, and scientists and, you know, physicians and, and, you know, actual experts are acknowledging that it's not quite that simple and that there are significant downsides to that more you know medical pharmaceutical approach um so i think as, as as much as we can find ways of taking care of our bodies that's going to help our brains taking care of our brains is going to help our bodies i think that's really powerful and it's it just feels better like you said it's just you know you, you have better energy you feel healthier it's cheaper uh, in a lot of cases it's easier um so yeah i i really believe in that approach yeah i'm hoping that in, in my book and in, in the podcast here, I've got a number of experts or specialists in the docket for uh, areas like fasting, deep sleep, dream yeah. sleep, these really fascinating things that I really admire because it, it's, it's not manufactured. It's not artificial. Like we were given these things just by the creature that we are like these amazing mechanisms that are free. Like they're just there. You just have to, yeah. to, to use them. And I'm not saying it's easy. 
Uh, and I'm hoping that through my conversations and spotlights, um, I can make it uh, less intimidating. But I love that in the book, you know, I was talking to Jake when he was on the podcast. I loved the whole section of being like a caveman. Um, and, and he pointed out that, you know, our hardware, our, our body, our actual body, our cells and our physical makeup of our anatomy, based on today's modern societies, out of sync with our software to make a technical, sure. analogous yeah. um, symbolism. And, and I thought that that was very powerful. And the whole caveman section of the, of the book, I just very entertained by. And I've, in my own personal life, been really diving deep into the trying to sync my software with my hardware and really appreciate the effort that you put into that section of the book. Yeah, that was actually one of the first things we wrote for the book, believe it or not. We really think of that philosophy as being at the foundation of not just the, the energize step in, in make time, so the, the third step about building energy, but really underlying a lot of what the book is about, you know, because if you think about you know, why are we so easily distracted, right? Like that comes from like the way that humans evolved, you know, in a pre-industrial, pre-agricultural world, if something caught your attention there's a good chance you need to pay attention to it. You know, it's a, it's a, a tree falling or it's a, it's a, a predator. It's, it's a large animal who's kind of entering your field of view. And so, you know, the, the things that we find distracting today are kind of overloading that very natural tendency that we have. Um, another one is the, um, the thing, the sort of psychological effect that makes uh, smartphones so addictive, you know, like things that you can pull to refresh, um, which is the same as what makes slot machines addictive. And I probably get the exact, you know, official psychological name of it wrong, but it's basically the, you know, that we, we evolved to value random rewards. So that's any, any reward, any good thing that is sort of uncertain, uh, when, you know, we can't count on it being there. And if you think back to, you know, a hunter gatherer, you know, a prehistoric human, you know, and, and let's say every day you're out and you're looking for foods that you can collect, you're hunting. Um, some days you're going to come back empty handed, you know, some days you're going to strike out, but every day there's a chance that there's going to be something good that you're going to, you're going to, uh, you know, have a really successful hunt, really successful day gathering. And so you need to keep going back. And so it's the same with your email, you know, same with Twitter, you know, like you're going to keep refreshing. You're going to keep going back some days, you know, or some moments really, there's going to be nothing very good, nothing of much interest, but occasionally there's just something that's so good, so interesting, you know, a really fascinating tweet or a, an email from somebody telling you nice things or asking you for something that you, you can help with that just uh, kind of reinforces this behavior. So, so, Anyway, we kind of believe that a lot, of, a lot of the things that we struggle with as you know, really as ancient humans living in a modern world are because of the ways that we evolved and can be explained by this disconnect between hmm. the world that we've created for ourselves and who we really are. Hmm. So the, the next curiosity I have is a bit selfish. John. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> so using the tactics of, of your book, a frequent highlight of mine has something to do with my writing efforts for the book Time Off. And you have been involved with the very, very successful book, Sprint. And now you're soon to launch one that I have no question in my mind is going to be as successful, maybe even more uh, with, with Make Time. So how have you made time or what's been the most successful way for you to make time to constantly chip away at the enormous task of uh, writing and releasing a book? Yeah, there's not, there's not one answer to that question. Probably the most consistent thing is, is working in the morning for me. And that, that's what works for me. Um, and I know that, that you, you kind of have a similar um, you know, you like to start your day early, but whenever possible, using those first couple hours of the day, distraction-free, um, before you know the the sort of noise and the weight of the world have settled in upon you. Uh, using that time for writing has been really, really good for me. 
Um, and, and I was able to do that even when I was working at, uh, at Google and at, at YouTube and at Google Ventures. And even when I was traveling, you know, if I was, if I was in New York, say, or, or down in Austin, uh, where, where you and I met, uh, working on doing a sprint, you know, the sprints run from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day for a week, five days in a row. But I would actually, you know, I would get up early and I would, I would try to carve out a, an hour, two hours for writing. We wrote a lot of articles. We did a lot of other, you know, resources, videos, things that, you know, were part of the, the story that we're trying to tell at Google Ventures about how design can be used for, um, you know, within startups. And so that was, a, that was a, a really important habit for me. There's a bunch of small things that I have, have found. One is to, uh, is to start, if I'm working on something new, whether it's a chapter of a book or it's just a, a blog post or, or something, to try to start in the smallest way possible. And usually for me, that looks like writing in a note on my phone. So I uh, like... You know, I'll, I'll, I used to, when I had an iPhone, I would just use Notes app. And now that I, I have a Pixel, I use Google Keep, which is very similar. Um, but I'll literally just start writing. Like, like, I won't worry about starting at the beginning, starting at the end, starting in the middle. It's like, whatever thought I have, whatever nugget of, of that thing that I'm working on, um, I'll just put it down and I'll do it in a, in a note because it, it feels very unofficial. It, it doesn't intimidate me. I think if you, if you sit down in a, you know, in a word processor or you're writing on uh, medium, you know, or if you're using one of these uh, um, people are seem to be really into these like quote unquote distraction free writing apps, you know, which like, you know, have this pristine white background to me, that actually feels like more intimidating. Cause it's like, wow, like, okay now I'm writing. Uh, and you know, I, I, you know, I think if, if that works for you, that's awesome. And I'm, it, these things obviously work for a lot of people, but for me, I sort of like that freedom of, you know, telling myself, Oh, I'm not, I'm not really writing the blog post yet. I'm not really writing this chapter. I'm just jotting down a few notes. And I find that even outside of my scheduled highlight time, you know, I can drive a few minutes, you know, waiting somewhere, uh, or even, you know, kind of walking, you know, I can just start to, to chip away at it. And that's been really helpful for me. Wow. I've, as you were saying all of that, I just had a big grin on my face because I'm like, yes, that's going to that's gonna really help me because I'm constantly coming across amazing quotes or reading a, a book where I have this aha moment of a great example of time off, you know, in different, different scales and scopes. And now that that's just a tactic I'm going to to use, if you don't mind, that's just going to be very helpful for me. No, of course, that's that's great. I hope it yeah. works for you. I'm kind of a notaholic. Uh, my my Apple Notes is uh, many 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 notes, probably thousands, and so I'll just continue with that habit and apply it to the writing. Yeah, there there was a really cool uh, post on Medium recently, and I I I can't remember the name of the the author, but maybe you can. I'll add it to the show notes, but it was, I believe she's a novelist and it was, the title was how to write a full length book when you have a full time life. I think that was right. Um, and it was, it was this very, very interesting, like kind of part tactical part memoir about how she, how she writes. And, and it's, you know, and, and like she says in the, in the headline, she, has a full-time life, you know, she's busy, she's got a full-time job. Um, and there's just a lot of little tips and a lot of like encouragement, uh, that writing doesn't have to be this like perfect, like this perfectly planned orchestrated, like I wake up every morning and I write for six hours, you know, it's sort of the, the Hemingway ideal of like what a writer is supposed to do. Um, that like in reality, it's okay. If you're like squeezing it in here and there, you're doing sometimes in the morning, sometimes at night, you're like writing on your phone, you're writing on your computer, you're dictating. Like the, the reality I think is that, you know, you don't have to be beholden to these, these ideal expectations of what writing is supposed to look like. So that's a, that was a, a pretty inspiring post for me. And I think worth checking out. Mm. Wonderful. So after your time at sea going away from San Francisco and for my eyes, almost starting a new chapter in your life. 
Is there anything new you want to make more time for? Man, I wish I knew. <laughs> where you you caught me in a in a transitional time where yeah you know we we wrapped up one chapter uh, we started another chapter the you know sort of the the traveling chapter but right now Michelle and I are having a lot of conversations about what we want to do um, how much longer do we want to continue traveling um, she's interested in going to school at some point so you know when does, when does that fit in? And then I've just been thinking a lot about, about myself and about my work. And right now I am very focused on launching Make Time, the new book, uh, which comes out September 25th. And the book is done. It's fully baked. Uh, I'm really excited about it, but there's just a lot of, there's a lot of things that, that Jake and I want to do to launch it into the world. We're, we're doing more writing around it. We're, we're working on some videos. We've been working on an app. So there's actually a, an app that's going to support uh, make time, kind of walk people through the daily steps through the framework. And so I'm just focused on doing all that. And it's, it's really, really fun. But you know, in terms of what else I want to make time for, I'm not quite sure. I love writing. I'm really intrigued by the, the challenge and the, the possibility of, of creating not quite a business, but, you know, sort of, um, you know, kind of creating something that's, that's sustainable and has some momentum around writing and, and helping people rethink their, their time and redesign their days. Um, and so, you know, I think once we get past the, the launch of the book later this fall, I'm going to spend some more time uh, digging into that. Well, John, this is an honor. Uh, to speak with you. I know based on what you just said of all of the ancillary activities you have with the book and making sure that you empower the readers with more than just uh, the, the beautiful book, but as you're saying, an app and, and videos and these other things. I know that's a lot of, of work and you made time to to sit here and, and speak with me. So I yeah. deeply uh, appreciate it more than you know. Well, thanks. It was a real pleasure for me. I've honestly been looking forward to this for a long time. So thank you.